You're listening to the One Two Three Show with me, Noreen Mayer, on this Monday afternoon, and I'm really excited to welcome back on the program our very first guest of the week. In the next fifteen minutes, so we're talking about avoidance in romantic relationships and in marriages, and I'm really delighted to be joined once again by Alison Halexa, who is a psychotherapist and head of corporate psychology at OTNP Mindworks. Alison, welcome back on the program, and thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. How are you doing today? Thank you, Noreen, so much for having me. And all things considered, I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. Thank you very much for, for, for being with us uh, this afternoon and also suggesting such a, a, a very important and a great topic, which I'm sure uh, many of our listeners are very interested uh, in this. So you, uh, you work a lot with couples um, and it seems that, you know, avoidance is, is a topic that must come up a lot. Uh, why do you think that is? Yeah, you are absolutely right. And I work with a lot of couples, Noreen, who come into the room and sometimes actually do their very best to avoid the avoidance that they've been swimming in for so many for so many years. It's a very inconvenient topic, right? Because it really requires that both people in the couple kind of radically change their dance posture and that they both start to commit to a relationship where avoidance is no longer really the fuel that that has anything to do with their connection. So avoidance, if we look at it, right, in terms of your question of why it shows up so much with couples, is basically anxiety in different clothing. So when we're anxious about discussing anything, right, and as it relates to, to being in a couple, there are two choices that we have when we have this anxiety. So First choice is that we expose ourselves to having the conversation about what's making us anxious, right? And in this case, it would be, you know, something in particular with the, the marriage itself or, or the partnership. So that would be a specific topic that's making someone anxious, a specific question a person might have, a conflict, a dream, a desire, a need, or really a mixture of all of it. So that's the first choice is that we expose ourselves to what makes us anxious, but the second path is to just avoid whatever makes us anxious, right? So anxiety over time turns into avoidance. And in the short run, we fool ourselves into thinking that we've you know, been able to save ourselves from these bigger conversations, that we've saved ourselves from the potential emotional pain that exposure can cause. But in the long run, avoidance becomes a poison in the marriage or the relationship. And what happens is that a lot of people, when they go into a relationship, they often will withhold things about themselves, about their desires, about their needs. And it never quite seems like the right time in some relationships to bring this stuff up. So I see it all the time, Noreen, in relationships that are, you know, very new, but I also see it in There are many couples who have had many life experiences together and yet know very little about one, one another. That's so strange to try and comprehend that they've been together for many years, but there are sort of a lot of topics that are off limits because 
of the anxiety that sort of the, the building blocks in the relationship, which we know is, is not healthy in any relationship, let alone an intimate relationship, one that you're supposed to be able to trust and, and be vulnerable with, with each other. Um, how does it get to that point? Is it from previous relationships or is it from sort of from growing up? They've always been like that or, or is it something that sort of fostered in that particular relationship? So there, there are some people that probably irrespective of whatever relationship they were to enter, that the avoidance would show up, the, the avoidance kind of tendency would show up. Whereas with, uh, with some people, even if you go in kind of generally avoidant, you may start to feel right emotionally safer to, to share what it is that you do want to share. So some couples that I see in which avoidance is more common or more likely to happen are couples in which one or both people have what's called an avoidant attachment style. So I think we could probably talk for at least, you know, one hour about attachment styles. But basically, we know that people who grow up with an avoidant attachment style as babies and children, so in other words, they don't have caregivers who really allow them to express how they're feeling or their needs are not particularly met, um, those are people who, as adults, generally have more avoidant marriages or relationships. People who have had significant trauma in their backgrounds. So sometimes avoidance can really be like a defense mechanism. So it starts off as something very protective, right? They have to avoid kind of sharing who they are with the world. They have to avoid kind of getting hurt. And so sometimes avoidance can actually just be a defense mechanism. People who struggle with addiction, right? Because addiction kind of temporarily allows you to escape reality, right? It allows you to kind of avoid um, some of life. And so people who struggle with addiction, I see in relationships have a much higher chance of having a, an avoidant relationship. Mm. Um, relationships, Noreen, where, you know, people's needs, feelings, thoughts, desires, and dreams are not regularly discussed. You'd be pretty shocked how many couples, you know, I meet in the counseling room who don't even discuss on, on any regular basis how they're feeling or what they really want in their life or what needs that they might have. I would say also an important one to mention are abusive relationships. So these are relationships in which there's not necessarily, you know, emotional safety or physical safety or there's been some sexual transgression. And again, back to people who have had trauma in their in their past, people experience trauma in their relationships are certainly more likely to avoid um, sharing how they're feeling or wanting to have kind of, you know, deep conversations with their partners. Yeah. By the way, we are live uh, this afternoon on Facebook, Noreen Mir on RTHK Radio 3. Um, unfortunately, the connection is not as as strong. Uh, the internet connection, not not the connection between Alison and myself. This connection is, is, is going strong. Um, so for our listeners, if you want to be viewers this afternoon, do join us, uh, Noreen Mir on RTHK Radio 3. It might drop in and out and it might go back to audio occasionally, but it's there if you want it um, as, as a backup. So you know, the, the, the things that you were talking about just now, were there the certain types of couple in which avoidance is more common? Um, do you sort of see it more gender specific? Is it more of a, are men more avoidant than, than women or are some women equally as avoidant as, as men? 
I think if if you gave me permission to just draw, you know, a sweeping generalization, I would say men men are more likely to be avoidant. So often, right, boys are, are conditioned not to talk about their feelings. Boys That's grow right. up to be men. Men go into relationships and and often don't feel like they have words for what they're feeling. They're often, you know, taught that it's kind of weak or that, you know, it's not really manly like to express themselves. So certainly if I were to make a sweeping generalization, I would put my uh, put my bet on men being more likely to be avoidant. But having said that, Noreen, I've worked with so many couples over the years in which the woman is avoidant. Um, and I've also worked with, you know, lesbian couples where there are two women who are avoidant. So I've kind of seen it all, but certainly um, I would put my money on men being more avoidant. Yeah. Um, are there sort of any clues or ways that couples, uh, you know, can become aware that avoidance is sort of creeping up on their relationship? Yeah, I, I think one of the big ones that I've noticed working with couples is that it feels sometimes like conversations are just not being had. So, for example, you know, maybe one of you wants to have a baby, but you don't actually know if the other person does or does not. Mm. And it just sort of feels like there are these questions lingering or there are these incomplete conversations or there are things that you simply don't know about the other person. Um, and it just feels like there's no resolution or, again, not even the beginning to a conversation. So what I see is often with avoidance is that one of the big clues is that things have just not been talked about. But other times it's that there's no resolution. So some couples just get stuck in these, you know, th these perpetual conversations, but they don't actually come to a resolution. And that sometimes to me can signal avoidance. And it seems like it seems like there's it seems like it's a cycle that can't be broken or how can it be broken if one party just is sort of avoiding no amount of encouragement can really break that it comes from within from from the other person the other person has to want to share and has to want to to, to change that what if they don't see it as a problem yeah so you know love is a two-handed game right so if i have one person in the counseling room who says it's not a problem and i have one person who argues fiercely it is a problem then we have a problem that may be beyond avoidance right that might be a problem on being on two different kind of paths but having said that sometimes the avoidance is so deep right that it takes a little while for both both dance partners to be on the same page and to have some kind of commitment to have a different kind of relationship, one where there is the potential for, for some emotional pain, but on the other side of that, there's also the potential for huge growth. So yes, you're, you're absolutely right. If, if one or both people absolutely stands by not wanting to have more difficult conversations, then you know I'm not a magician. There's nothing I can do or any other couples therapist could do but I think so long as we can start to get both people in the room to see that there's a benefit in moving away from avoidance and towards having conversations that might be a bit sticky, I think that's where we can really make um, the most progress. Mm -hmm. So, you know, your question of kind of how how do they start to engage? Well, I guess we just named the first thing, which is that we both, both need both dance partners to be signed on. Um, and what I mean by that is, again, there may be a short-term anxiety that comes with it, 
right? Because you may start to discover things, learn things, explore things with your partner that you've been, you know, sticking your head in the sand about for a long, long time. Um, and I think the other thing is that, you know, when I work with couples who are kind of moving away from the avoidant path um, and more towards kind of deepening the growth in the relationship is I really try to establish some kind of emotional safety, Right. And sometimes this is actually where couples therapy can be hugely helpful because for some couples, actually, they only start to have the more difficult conversations in in the, in, in kind of the safe uh, space of, of being with the therapist. Right. Because people tend to be on their best behavior, although not always um, in, in the presence of another. So we sometimes can just establish that safety in the counseling room and then try to translate that outside of the counseling room. Um, sometimes we have to sort of, you know, have some level of commitment to something, Noreen, that's called nonviolent communication. So violent communication is anything that seeks to hurt the other person um, in the relationship. And so I need some sort of commitment to the opposite, to the nonviolent communication, which is, you know, we may not get this right at first try, right? We might need to have the same conversation five times. But I do try to get people to commit to some some boundaries with their communication so that we can maintain a level of respect and kindness. The other thing that's really important is that when I see couples trying to have conversations, they often go into in these objective circles. So in other words, they try to basically stick with the objective quote facts, right? Because they're avoiding the subjective truth. So they're avoiding their own expression of needs, their own expression of feelings, their own desires, their own dreams. And so I try to get couples to see objective truth as, as only being a springboard into getting them into subjective truth. So I really try to disrupt that, you know, that, that dance of the objective truth if I see couples going into it, because you know, sometimes with avoidance, it seems very productive, right? It seems like, you know, people don't have time for, for these conversations because they're too busy with the kids, with work, with life, or they try to argue their points, right, and stay on the objective level. But I really try to call it out as it is and name all the ways that avoidance shows up so that we can really start to move the needle on having these conversations in a different way. And I think with that, a lot of couples, Noreen, what they do, right? So sometimes, you know, people say that they're too busy to talk about things or they stick on, they stay with the level of, of just the objective truth. But the other thing that I see couples doing all the time is something in couples therapy called kitchen sinking, where they'll pile up, you know, five, 10 issues at the same time. And I try to get us to clean one dish at a time, right? And ask ourselves, what's the real conversation that we're holding on to? Because it's very easy to go from sticking your head in the sand to sort of, you know, running after your partner and piling up so many issues that you're actually just, you know, flipping the avoidant coin and going the other extreme and moving, moving the relationship in the direction where there's just simply too much to be able to process. And, you know, I think finally on this note is I really need couples when they're doing this work to start to assume the best in each other and try to set each other up to succeed, right? So not asking sneaky questions, not jumping to conclusions too quickly, not dragging things unnecessarily always, you know, to the past, but really trying to stay present and to assume 
the best in each other, the best in the couple, and to know this is not going to be a linear process, right? If you've been in an avoidant relationship for five years, we don't change that overnight. But I do think that, you know, there's got to be a way to be able to get the couple to establish the emotional safety, understand the real conversation, have some kind of commitment to the nonviolent communication, and move very much away from the objective truth into the subjective um, truth. And for couples, Noreen, to be open to being disappointed, because as I said earlier, sometimes we avoid the truth because it's a bit safer, at least for the time being, we tell ourselves so. So when you start to have real conversations with your partner, you know, there's no way I'm going to tell you that everything you find is going to be beautiful or blissful or wonderful or just what you wanted. There may be some things that are pretty, pretty ugly under the hood. So we've got to be prepared for exposing ourselves to the truth and, and whatever the truth may be in any given conversation. Yeah, Alison, so many excellent points there. Just out of curiosity, I mean, really, really great yeah. that you mentioned about the nonviolent communication, because after so many years, if you are in an avoid, if you are in a relationship with someone who's being avoidant, it can be frustrating. I'm just curious, what's the other side of the coin? I mean, how is that being met with? You know, how do their partners feel about it? Do they sort of are they understanding to begin with? And then do they start to feel frustrated and or maybe angry? And then that's a whole set of thing that, that, that the couple has to address as well. Yeah, what what's tricky, I think, is that any time we change a dynamic in the relationship, even if it's a positive change, right, we can notice that usually in a couple, one will try to pull the other back to what the dynamic was before. So even if we shift the dance from, you know, some kind of violent communication to nonviolent communication, which I think most of us would say is pretty positive Good change, thing. or yeah. moving from avoidance to exposure, there's always going to be this period, right, unless you have two incredibly conscious people in the room with you, where one tries to pull the other back, because it's familiar, because that feels, again, in, in a kind of um, short term way, very safe or knowable. So this does take a certain amount of patience and conscientiousness to really want to re-engineer. And yes, you're right, there may be a whole host of, of emotions that go with that. Um, and it can be a bit frustrating where sometimes one partner is moving a bit quicker than the other, right? Leaning a bit more into the exposure, a bit more into truth, whereas the other one takes a little while to have him or her kind of catch up. Terrific. Well, Alison, I'm so glad we had this conversation today. Thank you so much again for your time and for your excellent sharing. Can you remind our listeners once again, how can we find out more about you and your work? Have you got a website we can visit? Yes. If you can go to www.otnp.com. So that's OTNP Healthcare, and I'm part of the MindWorks um, Therapy Clinic. Excellent. Well, Alison Halexa, thank you so much for your time once again, and I look forward to our next chat. Thank you very much again, and happy Easter. Thank you. Same to you and to everyone listening. Thank you.